Hello and welcome, I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We're Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry, with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 136, recorded on October the 20th, 2020. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. We are still missing a fin. We are. And, and for no obvious reason. So if any of you have seen the fin, please let us know. And, 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 send, and send him back. We, we are happy to pay postage. We are happy. I think we just came up with a name for this episode. Happy to pay postage. Again, I think we should keep track on who gives the names for the episode. Not that it is any like, thing to be proud of, but... It's data. I like data. Exactly. We, we all like data. True. Which kind of brings us to uh, today's headlines. We're going to cover um, pretty <laughs> varied um, stuff today. <laughs> we have the Windows uh, October 2020 updates. Just a few minutes before we started recording, the Power BI uh, Desktop October release came out. And I'm, I'm struggling to read that with one eye as I'm speaking. Um, the world's largest Raspberry Pis appeared in the shape of the Azure Modular Data Center. Um, Mr. Trump has an interesting opinion on security. And what more do we have to talk about today? I, I think we'll start there. And we have some quite interesting parts in relation to server, uh, working from home, Android, and a gigantic Xbox. Cool. Yeah, let's let's go with that. So why don't you just kick it off with the Windows October 2020 update? Yep. So um, the latest feature update for Windows 10 just got released uh, and it's now available for the so-called seekers. The seekers? The seekers. And that's not Quidditch, is it? <laughs> it, it is Quidditch. So well done. Um, but not that kind of seeker. I think it was uh, Mary Jo Foley and Paul Thurot that actually um, created that term for the people that goes to the settings app on Windows 10 and actually search for Windows updates. People like me and probably not like you. Um, I was just about to say, that sounds like me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> then you are a seeker. I am many things. I am a seeker. Yep, exactly. Uh, and they are still rolling this out nice and steady. Um, they are doing their best to time when it should be installed and when they should reboot the device. And this will be an update just as last year when we went from 1903 to 1909. So you should only have a few minutes downtime probably. Uh, and this is also the, since it's released in October, and I believe that most people at least in half of the world, say that it's fall or autumn. Um, and therefore, this is the release that it gets 30 months of servicing and support beginning today. Would you say that this is a, a talk kind of update where a tick is a big one and a talk is a small one? Yes, absolutely. Uh, they have built in um, some things, including the uh, new Edge browser, which is now built in in this release. Uh, but other than that, I would say this is the commercial customer-focused release. So a couple of new 
GPOs, security features, manageability, and of course, Edge pre-deploy or pre-installed in the image. Not that many consumer features to talk about, really. So do you remember what happened the last time Microsoft decided to bundle a web browser with their operating system? <laughs> um, w- uh, vaguely, since I was close to not born at that point in time. Well, it didn't go so well. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what's going to happen this time. Because one, one word, antitrust. Yeah, but Internet Explorer has always been included. They did something, I believe, after Windows 8, right? Yeah, some, something was... I, I'm not sure what they did, but I, I vividly remember the, the, uh, the talk. Yeah, but you do remember the, the applet that came up with, if that were Windows 7 or Windows 8, where once you started Windows, you got the pop-up saying, do you want to install an additional browser? Yeah. And you had the choice of 10 different browsers or so. Uh, and I think they did some change after that, which made them some way go around the entire antitrust thing. Yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a mess. But then again, that was another Microsoft. Yeah, absolutely. But like, look at the former Windows 10 releases. You had both Internet Explorer and Edge built in. So I, I, I do remember that I've heard what they changed to make that possible but I can't remember it from the top of my head. So we'll have to come back to that at some point. Um, just a quick question about the Internet Explorer. Last episode, we were talking about being able to get rid of Windows, uh, Windows Explorer, or not Windows Explorer, but Internet Explorer. Is that the case with this Windows update that you no longer need the um, Internet Explorer old-style crap fest? No, that feature is probably a part of the next release. So the uh, release that will be uh, available early next year or in the middle of H1 2021. Okay, right. That that, that makes sense. As far as I can tell. I have to review it, but I, I, if I remember correctly, that was a part of an insider build, which were the base for the 21 H1 release. Ah, right. And 21. H1. Yeah, 21 okay. H1. Yeah. We I I don't think we want to relive 20 H1. No, I think we're good. Thank you. Yeah. Speaking about horrible things, should we talk about the president? Well, you kind of set it up pretty well, so keep going with it. So, yesterday when we were recording this, um Donald Trump, the at this moment, President of the United States were at a rally somewhere in uh, Florida, if I'm not mistaken. I, I may be wrong, it can be in another state. But anyways, he, for some reason, got a question about hacking and cyber crimes. And he stated that no one gets hacked. To get hacked, the hacker needs... To, he, he emphasized he, needs to have an IQ of 197 and have at least 15% of your password. And that went, of course, viral. So I'm, I'm curious if he said that knowing that it would hit the social media and he would get a shitstorm from it. So I'm, I'm curious, if, if we just play with this for a bit, yeah. do you have a job? Because he, he just told you basically that whatever you're doing is just bull. 
Yeah, exactly. It may be so. And this may be edited away by Alexander that all the male persons with an IQ of 197 and the knowledge of 15% of all the passwords only are existing in the Nordic market. That's an interesting leap of <laughs> reasoning. How, how, how could you come up with that? Apparently, we, we are seeing hacks every single day. Ah, right. So correlation and, and causality. I, I, yeah, I, I buy that. Yeah, I've heard someone talking about that they uh, are not always related, but um, mm. that's the only like that's the only thing I can think of that would make sense of it. Let's be clear. First and foremost, hackers can be male, female, or nothing of the sort. They don't need to have an IQ of 197. Anyone who can Google can in practice hack. And um, I think it's enough to know 15% of the commonly new used passwords to be able to hack anyone. So please use a complex, unique, and fairly long password. End of public message. And I'm going to go ahead and do remember that you're the person working in the security field. I am going to go ahead and say, no, Simon, you shouldn't be using a password at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Ba baby steps. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I agree completely. That's kind of weird though, but yeah, let's, let's, let's come back to that in a, in a later episode. Yeah. The odd thing is that we usually agree on the most stupid things. We are rarely in agreement when it comes to anything that are close to an IQ of 197. But anything at the other end of the scale, we are probably in agreement of. Ice cream is good. So the October release of the Power BI uh, desktop just, and I mean just, came out. And there are a lot of stuff in here. I have not quite been able to... Um, to digest all of them, but a few things really um, stuck out. And one was the uh, personalized visuals is now generally available. The whole personalized visuals means that I, as a report consumer, can do some uh, changes and, and, yeah, changes is a good word, uh, tweaks to a, an already a, a created report. I can change a visual from whatever, a bar chart to, God forbid, a pie chart or something like that and save that as a bookmark for, for me. So the next time I open the report, it will be formatted in a way that I prefer. And that's that's a pretty big thing for for power users. It has a, a flip side, though, because I am kind of concerned for the, um, the poor people in support. But we'll see what that means going forward. Following up on your new session, which we may have time to talk about later on, uh, I think that will be an interesting thing as well. So how you can fool yourself by using a personal visual. Isn't that a possibility that you are given a visualization of a set of data in one way and you for whatever reason, prefer to visualize it in another way, but that may not be appropriate for that data set. 
You know, that's a very good point, which I hadn't thought of really, but oh yeah, it is quite, uh, quite possible. Because when, when we are talking about visuals, we are generally talking about appropriate visuals for a specific uh, kind of data. Yeah. And I can put almost anything on a pie chart, despite the fact that a pie chart is very seldom a good choice for anything. So yeah, it's it's a good point. I I think I need to explore that a bit and, and do something with that because it sounds like fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I've done a lot of user experience and user interface work together with the Microsoft product groups. So that's one of the few things I probably could help you with. You know, I might just take you up on that. So lunch? Yeah, but not now. Ice cream. Ice cream. Right. Anyway. We also have some, uh, well, the biggest um, elephant in the room is the fact that Power BI now has another icon. What? Yep. They, they changed the, uh, the icon. Oh, come on. I need to Google that. Yeah. Take a look at it because um, you might recognize the, uh, the icon. I'm desperately trying to find it. You can find it in the Power BI blog. When you get an English site translated to Swedish and you find nothing. Oh my lord. Okay, I, I like many of the other fluent design ones, but that one was... The only thing that would have made it worse would have been a pie chart. And the problem is, it is very, very close to one of the Google um, tools. I can't remember which one, but it's it's very, very close. <sighs> Okay, and uh, let's let's just say that this was not universally um, appreciated, and leave it at that. But that's that's there. Um, th- there are some kind of clever stuff that you can do in Power Query. Um, say, for instance, that you have Power Query and you're you're pulling in data from an Excel sheet or JSON files. Power Query can automatically detect a table inside of your data and format it in a way that is. Well, it, it, it's going to save you a lot of time. I, I really don't know how they do this. I mean, this is pretty close to black magic, but it works very, very well. And what do we have more? Um, Power BI for HoloLens 2 is now available. It's or available as a preview, I should say. Is that what they showed a number of years ago when they did that 3D visualization of the heat map in the building? Or is this only showing the shards in thin air in front of you? I don't know, because with this, users can get Reaper pages, um, dashboards, that kind of stuff, into the mixed reality. And once they do, visuals exist there every time they open the app. Updated in real time and persisting until they choose to remove them. Kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. I can see a number of use cases for that, especially if you have live stream data and live updates. Yep. Um, but I don't know if you remember that. I think it were at Build a couple of years ago where they showed that hologram, at that point, as far as I remember, driven by Power BI, where you had a drawing of a house and you could see all the temperature sensors in that house and how one part were, one room were very warm and they couldn't figure out how. So they flipped the data around and saw that, okay, it was an exhaust or ventilation drum for the kitchen three stories below. And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that that was 
Power BI with some kind of map overlay. I I can't remember, but it, it does sound like Power BI for sure. Yeah. And speaking of the the whole live data, you can do automatic page refresh in the Power BI desktop app. That is one of the most asked for features. So now you can set a, a refresh schedule. And as long as you're running a direct connection inside of, of Power BI desktop, then it will automatically um, refresh the data. And you can, for instance, put it on a monitor if you so desire. And this one is important. We now have support for notch displays on iPhone and iPads. Hooray, I guess. So there, there are a lot of other updates. And again, I have not had time to really dive deep into this one. So um, go check it out for yourselves. There, there are a lot of cool, cool visuals and, and cool updates. So did you see the uh, huge Raspberry Pi? <laughs> because that's that's what it is, isn't it? Are, are you now referring to the uh, Microsoft Azure Modular Data Center? I am. I, I would question any kind of relationship, a relation to a Raspberry Pi, um, other than that they may come in the shape of a rectangle. Mm-hmm. But um, the, isn't this going back to the containers we had for Office 365 back in the days? Um, I think we had a few in Sweden, actually, uh, where you could buy Office 365 as a actual container which were shipped to you and you could put it up somewhere i think we even i think you and i actually even had a customer using one yeah i i remember and uh, I, I think this makes a lot more sense honestly um where you as they say it's for the military uh it's for catastrophe aid it's for mining it's for things that if you are in that business, you understand it, you need it, and you can afford it. Do you remember what the Azure stack that you can put in a backpack was called? Rugged. It was the Azure stack rugged. This yeah. is the Azure stack rugged when you can't fit it into a backpack. <laughs> no, I, I think the uh, would be a very, very, very big backpack. Well, you can put it on a flatbed truck, so yeah. Yeah. What it is, it's basically a, a small Azure data center in a box, which can be shipped anywhere, uh, connected to power. And if you have, you can connect it to a network, but you can run it completely offline and you can use it over satellite connection as well. So uh, it, it's some when you need a massive amount of compute power on a place where you can't access or where you have very unreliable network connection. So you can't access the big cloud, so you bring your own slightly smaller cloud. Bring your own cloud, pretty much, yeah. Bring your own cloud. So in, in a way, it is an Azure Stack rugged, but on a 12-foot container size. Yeah. With a heck of a lot more compute. I don't think they even state how much you can fit in one of those, but it, it must be quite a lot of power and i wonder if these are the same containers as they use in the real azure data centers just with cooling power additional networking and such i would and this is me guessing i would say probably not due to the fact that these are ruggedized and these are uh, rf uh, radio frequency uh, shielded yeah. in a way that i i don't think would make a lot of sense when you have a lot of these together, but I'm sure they 
took uh, a page out of the design manual for the other um, boxes as well. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm just happy they didn't name it Azure Stack Hub XL. Oh, God. Yes. A- Azure Stack Hubby. Azure Stack Hub. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when I'm exhausted. No, this is what happens when you get to work from home permanently. And m- speaking of which, Microsoft is starting to allow this with a bit of a caveat. Which is? Uh, we were talking about this before we started the recording, and it turns out that a lot of people that we are talking to say the same thing, that sure, you can do remote work, but you need to think about the time zone. So yeah. you might not be able to do all the work from, say, uh, a beach in Hawaii or or like that, or the cold, dark north, for that instance. But it's an interesting thing, and I think that we're going to be seeing a lot of work from home, both good things and bad things, because that is going to come back and bite us when it comes to ergonomics, I think. Yeah, and I'm just reading through the article from Forbes now, and um, there are even things like you are able to relocate if approved, even internationally. And they will have to give up their assigned office space, but Microsoft will cover home office expenses for permanent remote workers. And I think that could prove a quite interesting challenge challenge as well. Uh, we both have friends uh, in, in Switzerland, as an example, where a lot of employers are currently paying a rather hefty sum to, to uh, pay for a home office with tables, chairs, whatever it may be. But I think we'll, for us, I think that would be challenging from a tax point of view. And I wonder how the entire logistics of that would work if I were to leave my job, as an example. Very good point. So I think we, we, I think we are all in agreement that we should be able to work remotely. But I think we are missing the point. We are now doing it the wrong way around. We are now doing this from a technology point of view again. I think we had learned that lesson 20 years ago when we were driving things from technology and not from organization, ergonomics, the other practices that we don't perhaps think of. Yeah, I agree. And the funny thing is we're, we're kind of getting to be in the same situation as a lot of our customers are when it comes to Azure, because People say you're going to save so much with your people working from home because you don't need an office. Well, it's an equally stupid argument as you're going to save so much money when you have everything in Azure because you're not going to be needing any on-prem stuff. Well, that's just bull. You still need an office. You still need stuff on-prem. Not the same, granted, but it's still going to be there. So you're going to have that cost as well, kind of on top. Yeah, I think we'll have the opposite challenge now that some employers were hesitant of allowing remote work because they were afraid of some people not being as productive. But now we have the opposite. Who will decide who is enough productive when working from home? And who will decide when you're too productive and really not feeling well? Exactly. And that's something I, when I talk about data compliance, I always raise that to attention as well. 
I see a huge value in looking into uh, the machine learning models in Teams chats to find um, bullying, harassments and things and, and bad mental health in chat conversations because it would won't be easier to take the step of asking for help when you're sitting at home and potentially never have met your manager in person. But it is what it is. The huge Xbox as a building inside of Microsoft Flight Sim. Could you could you say something about that? I'm, I'm, I've struggled to find a tweet, but in practice, it were uh, if you flew over, I think it was an American city somewhere, you saw a skyscraper in the shape of an Xbox One X. Oh. Uh, so so they have added some Easter eggs to Flight Simulator, which I which I like. I haven't tried it yet. Um, I would love to. I would love to have the time to actually really get back into those kinds of games. Uh, but that's something I value with it, that it's so realistic, but also that they have been allowed to do some Easter eggs True. inside of it. So I've, I've tried it, um, and that's part of the reason that I'm, I'm going to be rebuilding my machine as soon as um, AMD Zen 3 comes out on, on in November. But it is exceptionally good. And I will be using it as a systems trainer, a, a proficiency trainer to keep my, my qualifications current during the winter season. Yep. And just being able to do that, especially since... I'm going to be flying VFR or visual flight routes, i.e. be looking at the window in an area that is nowhere near as detailed as, say, for instance, Los Angeles or, or San Francisco, Florida. But it is still good enough that I can navigate off landmarks yep. in this exceedingly remote corner of nowhere. So <laughs> We're now talking about the part of the world we, where we live. Yes, from from a graphic standpoint and from a game standpoint, this is slightly to the left of absolutely nowhere. That's harsh. But it's also true. I'm just going to very, very quickly say that I, I have finally, after more than a year, completed and delivered my session called The Untruthful Truthful Art. It's about uh, visuals and, and how to really mess things up with visuals. And... Um, I think I told you, and I, I did mention it during my first delivery, that the name Untruthful Art is a play on words of one of the, the um, cornerstones in data visualization. It's a book called The Truthful Art by Alberto Cairo. And the day before I was to deliver my session, Alberto pinged me on Twitter and said, that's a cool title. I almost had a coronary. Um but yeah, I made really sure that he was not offended, quite a, the, the opposite. He really liked the title and he thought it was kind of cool. Uh, and I'm very happy that he did. So it's, it's an exceedingly difficult session to present. You saw it. What were your first idea? I, I was really excited to see you finally delivering it. I think it's it's a topic that you feel very passionate about. I think it's a topic that's very important. I've said to, I don't know how many people, that this is really a built, something to build on top of uh, factfulness. So yes, I have even compared you to uh, the Roslings. 
Wow. Uh, and I think I, I think you nailed it. Like there, as as you and I are never ever pleased with our performance uh, in terms of presenting, there are things that you could have done better on a detailed point of view. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a very valuable, probably the like if if this were your heritage to leave for the for the world, I think you should be very proud of yourself. That's high praise. Yeah, and I, I I honestly feel that this is something that a lot more people should be looking into. And I hope that you can get to deliver this on other conferences than data platform centric ones. You know, I would love to do exactly that, but I'm I'm struggling to find um my way there. But yeah, I, I hear you. That's a good point. Well done. And and if any of our listeners have so when are you delivering it the next time? Do you have any anything scheduled? Yeah, it's uh, I have one scheduled for April 20th. April 20th. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I'm going to get it somewhere before that, but that's that's the uh, the one that I have in the books yep. right now. Cool. And I think we are out of time again. These 30 minutes, they just get away from you so fast. It's like kids. They grow up and leave. And you know how? I don't. But um, on that very weird thing, it's definitely time to end the show. And thank you for listening to Need Even Tech. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needeventech.com. We will be back next week. And meanwhile... Take care. Bye. Bye.